Luke chapter 1. I'm going to really expand on the um, expand on this morning and where we were in the in the lesson of Zacharias. And so as we move into this, I'm going to give you a little background for uh, Luke 1, tell you a little bit about that, and then I am going to skip to the rest of what uh, Zacharias was saying uh, as he prophesied by the Holy Spirit. And just really to examine this, uh, as you can see, as you begin, just turn to the first, actually the first part of Luke 1, first verse, as you can tell, it's written by Theophilus, uh, I mean to Luke, to Theophilus, wow, um, the name means lover of God, uh, as Luke writes, he writes not as an apostle, but he writes as one who was very involved in the early church. He traveled with Paul. Obviously, you, you can tell his, his detail from his writing. But he also, as a physician, carefully cataloged what's going on as he has heard from the other disciples, or from the disciples. He writes uh, the Acts of the Apostles. We know that book also was written by him. And so as we look at this, you are thrust into this first chapter of Luke, and he's telling about those things that were handed down in verse 2. They were, he, was, he has been given this information from eyewitnesses, which is very important to him, that he's writing, he's carefully cataloging what those who are with Jesus have seen as he has heard it, and he's, he's extending this to us to Theophilus and now to us. And verse 4, look at verse 4, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And so he's very careful, and that, that's the, the hallmark of Luke's writing and his details. So in the days of Herod, verse 5, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth, and we looked at this. But look at verse 6, they were both righteous in the sight of God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. I think it's interesting to note that as you start here, these were, these, this was a, a, a couple who loved God and was very um, circumspect in how they lived. If you take your mind back to the Old Testament when Isaiah wrote and other prophets wrote about uh, the, the priest who did not, uphold the law of God and who misused the, their office. You have one here who served well, who lived well, who lived in love of God and righteousness in the sight of God. And so it was very important. And we talked about this morning, uh, you know, the preparation for, for priestly duty was, was very important. They went to cleanse themselves. Um, there were the ritual mikvah, the baths that they have to, to, to dip themselves into and coming out uh, clean on the other side, running water, both ceremonial and also actually physically clean. And they were prepared themselves to serve in the temple. It was not some small thing to go and serve in the temple. It was important. And so as they went to pray, the people did, the incense was accompanying their prayers. And so that was his job, as we looked at this morning. It was his job. As we kind of recap what the angel said, just to remind us, I think this gives us a little bit into um, Zacharias' understanding. As the angel talks about in verse 13, he says, Do not be afraid. 
your petition is heard. Now, that fear is going to figure into how Zacharias reacts, and, um, and understandably, he reacts negatively or acts, reacts in doubt. But there is a fear factor there, that he's coming into the temple to serve, and there is this angelic being there. Zacharias, uh, well, the angel Gabriel does everything he can to, to minimize that. Do not be afraid. That may have may not have helped you or me. Don't be afraid, but I'm, I'm still afraid. But the fear was there, but it was the awe of an angelic being there in the holy place. And that is not a small, insignificant thing, that he was ministering in the holy place. That incense as he put it on the altar and it burned. And so the angel Gabriel um, speaks to him, and he says, You will have a son. His name will be John. You'll have joy and gladness. He talks about, but in verse 16, he will turn many sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go as a forerunner before him, in whose spirit the power of Elijah. So, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make a people ready, prepared for the Lord. And this office as a, as a forerunner is an office that is very important. And Zacharias is, I think, overwhelmed in this. He is overwhelmed, and then he says, how can these things be? How can this be? How is it? And you see disbelief. You see a disbelief when God speaks to him through the angel Gabriel. Warren Wearsby on this section said, Faith is blessed, unbelief is cursed. So Zacharias is not only questioning what he's hearing and seeing, he's actually questioning God's ability to do this thing that God said he would do. And you, if you'll look, and we're skipping over it right now because I want to come back to it later in uh, another message, but you contrast Zacharias' disbelief to Mary's faith. And you see a great contrast. And he's also contrasted to, to Abraham. If you think about Abraham, as he gets up, a middle-aged man, and God says, I want you to go somewhere. I'll tell you where you're going along the way. And Abraham, is he's comfortable in Ur. And he goes to a place, and God makes a promise to him. And God is even now, with Zacharias, continuing to fulfill that promise even to Abraham. And so now you come to this point. So we've looked at it. He's unable to speak. He receives this. The angel said, Gabriel said, you're going to be unable to speak. Um, go back. The priestly service was ended. He goes home. And then you see Gabriel in verse 26. Gabriel sent to, to Nazareth and to, to Mary. You know, Gabriel also um, talks with Joseph. Notice verse 37. Uh, when, a, when Gabriel is speaking to Mary, he says this, he talks about even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And so Mary is, uh, speaks there, but I want to go specifically to when the baby comes. So let's move on down to a little later in the passage, past Mary's Magnificat. And we go to uh, 57. Now it was time for Elizabeth to give birth. And she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing with her. 
And it happened on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Hey, that's, that's pretty common. Bar Zacharias, Bar son of, son of Zacharias. But no, he makes this gesture, no, John says no. Actually, Elizabeth said, answers a no, indeed, but he is, his name, he should be called John. And they say, there's nobody in your family. There's no relative named John. Why name him John? And they made a sign to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed, and began to speak praise of God. So this is the moment when he says, his name is John. This is the moment that God opens his tongue, his mouth. And fear came on all those living around them. And all the matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept these things in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. So you can see this was no small matter, not something that kind of happened in the family and no one else knew about it. But instead, those around heard, especially when Zacharias gets his speech back. This is a, a monumental thing. So they say about John. So if this happened, man, what's going to happen with this, this boy, this son? And this is the moment where we come to where I want to spend the most time this evening to look at this and to examine what he says and what exactly um, really is entailed in the birth of John. And I want to point out a couple of things that, that, John, that Zacharias gives praise to. So, number one, praise for salvation provided. Verse 67, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, he is prophesying, he's, all, he's foretelling and foretelling. And he prophesied, saying, what? Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old salvation from our enemies. He prophesies, promises are being fulfilled. Blessed be the Lord. He has visited us. He's accomplished Redemption for his people. What a beautiful thing that he has done so. But look how he describes it by the Holy Spirit, Zacharias. He's visited, yes, but he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Now this is important because this is not talking of John. This is talking of the Messiah, of the one who had come. And so intermingled in this praise, this is a praise be. Sometimes there's called a benedictus. Because praise be is what has been given to this, uh, this portion that, that Zacharias speaks. It prays for the promises um, of God, that salvation has been provided. But secondly, that God has fulfilled his promises. So the horn of salvation it points to David. This idea of, of the foreshadowing of one who would come, of ransom, was also the one who would come from the line of David. So we have these promises fulfilled. Look how he starts to detail in verse 70. As he spoke and people in, 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 from prophets of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate, hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant and the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. 
Now this is so important. For us, it may not be quite as important. But here it is, the horn of salvation, yes, from David his servant, but the, but the salvation from our enemies. You understand God prophesying many years ago in, in the prophet Isaiah of what would happen. Samuel 7, uh, 2 Samuel 7, 16, The house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. Given to David, this horn of David, this one who would come from David's line, the scepter will not depart. These things God was prophesying. And look, it mentions Abraham, the oath that, that God made to Abraham, Genesis 22, 16 through 18. Verse 16 said, And said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Remember the sacrifice that God asked him to, Abraham to do for his son? Then he spares Isaac. Indeed, now the promise, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, the sands of the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemy. The salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Psalm 106.10. God is fulfilling in this. And so by the Holy Spirit, Zacharias is, is uttering this praise be to God for the promises now. Secondly, promises fulfilled. And he is... He's quoting passages from Psalms. He's quoting uh, alliterations or he's quoting uh, quotations from, from, from Abraham, from David. He's recalling to mind what God has promised. God is now fulfilling. It's wonderful that we can praise God and know that he fulfills his promises. We can have rest in God. Even we may not see the promises fulfilled in our lifetime. We know God will fulfill his promises. Interesting, in Deuteronomy 18.50, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Moses. Moses was saying that. See how God, in, in, in movies, they're called Easter eggs. These little things or foreshadowings or, or things of passage. You say, oh, and if you have seen something else or know the story, oh, yeah, I get it. In a sense, if you put it in our, our, our parlance, God is giving prophecies as, as if it were Easter eggs and, and all throughout the Old Testament saying, I will send a son. I will send a Messiah. This one will come. Moses said it. Abraham of, spoke of it. I told David all of these things that my prophet Isaiah, all the, Malachi, all of these are foretelling of this one who would come. And Zacharias brings it here by the power of the Holy Spirit and says, Yes, Lord, your promises are being fulfilled to praise your name. Promises fulfilled. But thirdly, I want you to see that there's a praise for the purpose that God is revealing. Purpose for which God is revealing. Go to um, verse 76. Uh, Let's start at 74. To grant us... That we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Kind of a purpose statement. Might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Notice the couple of things the purpose revealed. Something that Zacharias struggled with when he first heard the angel, fear. 
The purpose of what God is doing is to be, yes, rescued from the hand of the enemies. To be rescued from salvation. We think of not only physical rescue, but spiritual rescue from the hand of the enemy. Yes, that's there, but also the deliverance from fear. We have no cause for fear. We know as a follower of Christ, because of Christ, we have ultimate safety and security. Fears come in this world, but there is no ultimate fear. And the purpose is revealed here, not only that we are, we are rescued, that's why Jesus came to rescue us, to deliver us so we may serve without fear. How are we to serve? We're to serve in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. With the coming of Jesus, he brings a purpose that radically changes a life that is just lived out for ourselves. But because of Jesus now, Zacharias is praising God for the purpose of life itself. That because Christ, because of the Messiah, Christ coming into the world, we now have the purpose to serve God. Yes, in holiness. Speaks of how we are to live out our lives. But in righteousness, following the the rightness of God's path. And it's, it's eternal for us. All of our days earthly, and then in heaven, once we stand before God. God has set us free not to do our own will, because that would be bondage, but to do his will and to enjoy his freedom. Aren't you glad that God gave us his purpose and his word? Our purpose is his purpose for us. As we live out our lives as believers, if indeed we call ourselves those who know Christ, we have the purpose set before us. To live holy, to live righteously, to serve him without fear. That our God is eternal. He has rescued us. He has accomplished redemption. Verse 67. He's accomplished, or 68, he has accomplished this for his people. So we have the joy of knowing a purpose. We are rescued to serve. We've been rescued, redeemed to serve our God. It's a blessed rescue. It's a wonderful rescue. It is a purposeful rescue. And so we can praise our God. We praise him not only for our redemption, we praise him for the prophecies fulfilled, but we praise him that he has he's fulfilled his purpose in salvation and given us our purpose to live out for him. But number four, praise for the prophecy of the preparer the one who would prepare. Verse 76. And you, child, in your mind's eye, you can, you can kind of think that Zacharias is holding John. Okay? You wonder if he was crying or if he was asleep during the middle of this. It's a new baby, newborn baby, eight, eight days old or maybe a little after that. They're, they're named there. So probably eight days old, circumcision. So uh, maybe he was crying. The baby is crying. And... He's filled with the Spirit, Zacharias is, and he's saying, and you, child, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. What a designation. The one who goes before, the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. 
He will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And notice here, the word is used of him, of, the, of, of Yahweh, meaning Lord. To go before Yahweh, to prepare Yahweh's way. How? How will he do so? Verse 77 gives us the answer. To give his people the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of salvation. So important. If you think about just that small phrase, the knowledge of salvation. It speaks to the greater wisdom and kindness of God. Not to say, uh, figure it out on your own. Salvation, okay, work it out the best way you can. The one who went before pointed to this one who would come after him. As he said, I'm not worthy to, to tie on his sandals. I'm not worthy to touch his feet. And he said, I would give him the knowledge. I would help with the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sin. It's the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. As John the Baptist, and I, as, he, um, as he grew, I'm sure he was a peculiar child. I mean, if you like locust and honey. I mean, I like honey, but not locust. Um, I'm sure he was an interesting person. To see him, you're like, mm, I don't know. Your choice in garments are kind of odd, you know? You don't like the robes down at the um, at Brother Judah's <laughs> robbery? Is that a word? That's not a word. You don't like those? You like the animal skins? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about John. Here's the one, though. He did not pay attention to all those things. He had a purpose. He had a mission from his birth. And you can imagine as he grows, Zacharias and Elizabeth... Speaking to him of what his purpose would be. And as God began to work in his heart and life. This one here. And he cried out, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he called for repentance. For the forgiveness of sin. As he preached in the wilderness. In the Judean wilderness. He would preach for forgiveness of sin. Repent. Repent. Here it is. Look at the reason, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. Let's pause there. The idea of a day spring. Um, come, come, Emmanuel. Come, thou day spring, come and cheer. The, the, that's the imagery. The day spring, a sunrise, the dawning. And if we could understand, and maybe we can, because... You look at our culture and you think that maybe it is a bit dark. Think about the time in Israel when Christ came. And it was the dawning of a new day. God breaks into recorded human history. And Jesus dawns in that day. He is the day spring. He is the light of the world. At the Feast of Dedication, he would say that. Uh, we're celebrating, uh, we're not, we are, but the Jewish people are celebrating Hanukkah. And that's the, the feast that's not in the Old Testament, but it is mentioned by Jesus because he goes to the temple in the Feast of Dedication, the Feast of Light. It's the, the time of the Maccabees and the revolt um, before Christ's time. They're still celebrating, and part of that, they rise up against Antiochus Epiphanes and, uh, because he's sacrificed a pig in the temple. They, they, they rise up and they cast him out. They cleanse the temple. And as the story has it, they only have oil for the menorah for one day, one night. And God, they say God visits them and he has enough oil 
for uh, for for all the all the eight nights. And so, so you have nine candles, one lit, and then you light the others there. And so they celebrate that. And Jesus comes in, and John, you see him coming into the temple. He says, "I am the light of the world." See, this is not just saying, "Hey, I'm I'm bright. I'm I'm one of the I'm 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 important. Look at me." He's using the imagery, and here John. Uh, Zacharias is doing, holding John, and he's doing the same thing by the Holy Spirit. The day spring, the light of the world has now come. So this is what John will be, uh, the one who's preparing the way, this one who would come. And you see the tender mercy of our God, from which the sun ri- uh, rise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who uh, sit in darkness. Uh, go to, well... Do we have time? Maybe not. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Here it is. And so there's that, that passage reference in verse 79 of Isaiah 9. And, and really just kind of the little interlinked. It goes back to the, the promises fulfilled, doesn't it? The praise here is, as the Holy Spirit seeds in Zacharias' praise, all the things that, that God has done. But here, the, those that dwell in darkness will see a great light. This is Jesus. After the birth of Christ, the Messiah, things would never be the same. The sun, S-O-N, would shine upon the earth. And with that, he would bring salvation. Jesus brought salvation. The light to guide their feet into a way of peace. The light would be guiding. This is not just flowery language. This is not just things that are nice. Jesus would bring with him peace. He would bring national peace because that's not the most important peace. It's the peace that we long for. In a way, don't we? In our t- even in our time. The peace we... Recent events, naming Jerusalem as the, well, it already is the capital, but just officially recognizing that and putting our embassy six months down the road, something that was done in the 1990s, that was ratified, we've been wavering all every sense, and the president said, okay, we'll actually make it and recognize Jerusalem as the, um, as the capital of Israel, put our embassy there. And so we look at that and say, oh no, it's going to be an uprising. And we, we need actually to understand... Um, this is probably not a welcome thing for Palestinian Christians because uh, they're going to have things, people around them who are not believers. It's going to be very tumultuous for them. It's going to be very hard for them as believers, their Palestinians, for Arabs, to really interact with them because everyone around them, their kinfolk, their families, are, are in, in a rage. They're upset about this. And even in a move that you'd say this is not bringing peace, we're not looking for national peace. We're looking for spiritual peace. And this is what Jesus brought. He brought peace with God, which is the most important peace because there is no other way to have peace with God outside of Christ. So he prepares that way, John does, so that we would see to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke gives us the editorial on this, and the child continued to grow, to become strong in, the, in spirit, 
And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance in Israel. You see God's great mercy. You see his grace. And I wonder, first of all, has the sunrise set, arisen, rather, in your heart, in your soul? Has Christ come? And I would hopefully think, though, many of us here tonight, Christ has made that peace with God for you. You've received of him salvation. And so then I, the, the next question I had in, in this, this praise be, this benedictus was, so are we as Zacharias was, are we now praising God? You know, we can probably go through our day and not think about praising God. Are we praising him because he fulfills his promises? If I don't know how my life turns out, how it ends, we don't have to know. We know we have a promise-keeping, our promise-fulfilling God. And we can praise him, even though we don't see the next step. We can praise him and be joyful in that, because he does fulfill his promises. We can praise our God. We can praise him also that we have been given the opportunity to be a part of his mission of rescue and mercy. What joy. In a small way, we're not preparing the way for the one who come, comes, like John, but we're on the other side talking, telling, declaring who has already come for them. But in a way, we, are, we can be like John in, in showing the way to Jesus. Instead of pointing forward like John, we're pointing back to what he has done and who he is now and what he can do for others. And we have the opportunity to be a part of his purposes. And that brings me great joy. That you, that he, that God, the sunrise, Jesus, has entrusted me and has entrusted you with his, his eternal purposes. What a joy we have to be a part of his plan. And the last thing I want to ask us is, are we living in and by faith? That's what Zacharias struggled with on the front end, wasn't it? Faith. That God would do what he said he would do. Hebrews 11 reminds us that, that often we live in faith and we, we do not see the end of faith. We don't see God fulfilling his purposes, but we know that he will fulfill his purposes. The latter part of that chapter 11 talks about those who died even and did not see, but they remained faithful to God. I want to encourage our hearts today that even though we have no right to judge Zacharias, we have been a little afraid and a little faithless too, I'm I, I'm sure. But to learn from his example. To praise our God. To rejoice in what God has done. His purposes and his promises fulfilled. That he is always there and he has provided redemption for us. But to live in faith. To step forward in faith as God calls us individually that step forward in faith, it may just be sharing the gospel with a friend or sharing a meal with someone. 
It could be being a neighbor to your neighbor. It could be something else, but trusting God for his strength, his provision, and to walk in his faith. We have been entrusted with the sunrise, the day spring of our Savior and his message. And we go forth in faith and in praise this Christmas time. We have a great God. Let's celebrate and tell of his goodness. Let's bow for prayer.